Welcome to Flight Suit Friday. I'm Kenny. I'm one of your hosts, and I got Sam sitting next to me. As always, how you doing? Good, man. It's good to be sitting here. It's good to be uh, getting ready to talk some cool aviation stuff. What's yeah. new with you, dude? Uh, nothing. Nothing new with me, man. Yeah. Yeah. Just hanging. Just hanging, dude. Uh, I'm excited to talk to uh, Bruce Kimmel. He's our guest today. One of my uh, best friends that I ever met in the Coast Guard. Great pilot. Uh, great dad. All, around, all just all around American. I think. Yeah, he is awesome. And, you know, we talked a little bit about um, flying for EMS with uh, Scott Sanborn a couple episodes ago, but he hasn't started flying and like Bruce has been flying for for a number of years now with EMS. So kind of dive into what a lot of us go do after if you're going to continue to fly. So listeners, I hope you're excited. And then with that, we'll get into it. It's Kenny. You there? Hey, Kenny. Yeah. Bruce What's up, Bruce? What's happening, dude? <laughs> it's Sam. <laughs> I saw you. Oh, dude. Joe, thanks for uh, having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's uh, our pleasure. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Flight Suit Friday, but we just like to get together and talk helicopters and stuff. But uh, we also like to drink beer while we're doing it. Uh, I got myself a Braided River uh, Hang Loose Hazy Pale Ale. I think we've had this one on the on the show before, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a mobile local beer. You drinking any beers over there, Bruce? I'm getting myself open up a, uh, dogfish head 60 minute IPA. Ooh. Oh, that's an old school. That's one. a that's good been, one. What's the yeah. alcohol percentage on that thing? Uh, it's only 6%. Okay. That that's my minimum threshold normally. So I'll say, uh, for me, the mountains are blue. Everybody knows what that is. <laughs> going to crack that. <laughs> Hey, uh, Bruce, Kenny and I have had the pleasure of serving with you, uh, in San Francisco, but for our listeners, can you just give a, a quick background of, uh, your Coast Guard experience and, and where you're at now? Yeah, sure thing. Um, I, uh, signed up for Coast Guard a couple weeks out of, uh, high school and the journey kind of began there. Went to boot camp in August of 98, uh, a Marine safety office out of Houston, um, from boot camp and then. Uh, I went to a Yeoman, Yeoman A school, mm-hmm. California, and then TPC in Topeka, Kansas. Nice. And I got picked up for Officer Kansas school there. And then um, ATC Mobile out of OCS. Wasn't smart enough to get flight school out of OCS. So they sent me to uh, Mobile. And uh, what better recommendation for flight school, you know, than the CEO of ATC Mobile. So I got picked up from that one. That worked out pretty good. Yeah. And then, uh, first day air station was Atlantic city, New Jersey, and then Arguadilla, Puerto Rico. So air station, Brinkin. Yeah. And then my last, last four was in uh, San Francisco. Um, nice. what were you doing as an ensign at ATC Mobile? Uh, I was doing the uh, student control and the uh, scheduling for the 65. Oh, we had a stash ensign here. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, wait, man. when are we going to get one of those Sorry, again? I'm breaking in for that one. We need uh, OPM to get on that. Holy Jeez. cow. Did you? That, that must have been a great uh, job, huh? <laughs> so Ben Walton was uh, one of the first dash ensigns there. And, uh, what? Yeah, Ben Walton and Steve Baxter, they were stash ensigns at ATC Mobile before flight school. And then uh, Jeff Jacobs and myself, we were the stash ensigns the next year or so. So they had orders to flight school and they're like, hey, there's a six month wait, go there, or was it just uh, go to ATC Mobile and be a st- none of us got flight school out of OCS. So oh my they, god! They knew that they we're interested in, so we were just instance. We were standing whatever the uh, the duty was for the uh, yeah ODO and 
Falcon Branch or whatever was there at the time. But I'm already yeah. learning so much. We're two minutes into this conversation. Wow, I didn't even know that existed here. It's nice. a pageant because that, that was the that was the place to be. I wonder if the future division chief can maybe get on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Bring that back, dude. Storied career. Uh, I would like to say that you had a ton of my firsts um, for, you know, flying the 65. I don't know. Do you remember the, uh, the, my first right seat hoist was with you flying out of Magoo for uh, that medevac way off on the Channel Islands. You remember that? Oh, I do. I do. Yeah. I, uh, I remember because you weren't night cold yet. No, it no, getting, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was getting pretty close to nighttime. And I was like, ah, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> if not, I think I could do it from the left seat. That was a pretty big ship. It was. So hey, I, man, I went for it. That meant a lot, dude. It was, it was great. And the other one I was thinking of the well, other hold, day. I, oh, I, sorry. How'd it turn out? It was good. Yeah, I went out. Uh, we went and flew. <laughs> Danny Gomez was our mech and Dave Munns was our swimmer. And there was a guy who uh, we thought had the bends off a dive boat. Wasn't that what it was, Bruce? Yeah. But he had like a stroke instead. I think uh, we usually don't, usually don't get the... Uh, like the long-term feedback from the person. But I think uh, our swimmer chief at the time knew someone that was kind of involved, I guess. And if this, if this is the same case I'm thinking of. Yeah, I but, think his daughter yeah. or something was a Berkeley firefighter, I want to say. Yeah. Dude, that was yeah. that was a good case for me. And then uh, you you rocked my world with my first ever number one DC bus short. You probably don't remember this, but I was flying a Nightland 3 with you up in Concord and like mm-hmm. sitting left seat, made a turn uh, like a crosswind turn and then you just killed the whole DC side. And I just, I don't even think I could operate. Like (laughs) everything was frozen. I couldn't land. It was great. Oh yeah. I I appreciate it. Everything you did is for IP. I actually had that one in Puerto Rico with George Matthews, uh, on a LE case. So I'd like to get, um, just cause there's a lot of stuff. I don't even remember all the different uh, things about the EP, but I know it, it kind of messes up the, the um, ACS a little bit or the, the force tram or something. But Yep. Yeah, I think you're the reason that we have like a note that talks about COM1, right? Because you, you were making calls yep. at the tower and they couldn't hear you until you were like, ha- uh, or vice versa, right? Yeah, total lost comms. We did the whole thing, looking for light signals and um, all that stuff, so... We ended up, George was flying the whole time, and he's like, hey, this doesn't feel right. He's a newer co-pilot at the time. He's like, hey, this doesn't feel right. You want to take the landing? I'm like, sure. Took the landing, just kind of flying through the cycle. I'm like, yeah, something's not feeling right, but we just ran it on a little bit. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah, that was that. It worked. Mentioning the uh, light signals also reminds me of a, of a Bruce Kimmelism, actually. <clears throat> One of Bruce's favorite IP moves, you're going like upgrade, first pilot, you got your day land or night land stuff. You, you come into a hoagie, he's like, all right, we're going to do, uh, you know, the hoagie flyouts. And you're like, okay, got it. And you're like setting up, you do the, you know, T for training mode, you set everything up. And all of a sudden he's like, oh shit, uh, look, look at towers giving us like, uh, the, all this lamp signals, like what's a flashing green. And you're like <laughs> looking over your left shoulder of like, shit, what is a flashing green? And then sure enough, he would flip the switch and just, yeah, just. Are you serious? Oh yeah. Dude, I oh, got yeah. it. I'm using that one. That's a good one, Bruce. Whenever they whenever they get that high loss, there's like a, a built-in time delay, right? So <laughs> yeah. expecting it, but if you uh, if you distract someone just a little bit, you're gonna be, you're gonna you have a little bit of time delay in your reaction there. So oh. you'll get the high delay is yeah. Or your high loss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what do you think was your favorite uh, SAR case in the Coast Guard? Is that 
You got one of those? Uh, Besides our star case together, Bruce. Star case, but I, I do have a kind of favorite like voice case, I guess. Uh, yeah. Maybe eh, the star. It was no like dark storm. I had, I had a few good like 50 to 70 knot winds and 20, 25 foot seas um, uh, cases. Or only two of those cases in my career, but I think my favorite one was uh, just put, plucking, plucking migrants off of uh, Mona, Monita? Mona. Mona's the big island. Monito's the little one, right? Yeah, I think so. so yeah, Monito Island. And uh, I think I had, uh, I don't know, we sent two aircraft. There's 33 migrants out there. And uh, there was a Customs Border Patrol 60 going out to you. And, uh, and one of my buddies, J.R. Creo, he uh, he came from Lang City, but he was the AU down in uh, uh, Puerto Rico. And and he's never had a live voice. So I'm like, I don't even know who my co-pilot was. But, you know, most co-pilots there, they... Uh, they get, you know, plenty of opportunity to uh, do hoisting and stuff, live voice. So uh, I kicked whoever that was off. And uh, <laughs> I <laughs> JR, put him in the right seat. And uh, I had my uh, flight mechanic was uh, Phil Johnson. Great make. And uh, we're heading out there and uh, kind of talking about it. We do the, you know, the initial rescue checks, you know, like, hey, let's not. We're just putting the basket up and down. Let's not go through all this mess each time, you know. So uh, we did. So Phil's kind of getting in the zone, bringing people up and down, up and down. And uh, he's like, hey, I don't know how much more people we can put back there. And uh, I looked back. I'm like, well, because each, each hoist is like, hey, can we pick up another one? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just looking at the uh, in the left seat, looking at the uh, torque. And we have like 20-knot headwind. And uh, so it's, you know, we have plenty of power. Yep. He's like, hey, can we pick up another one? Sure thing, you know. And then I, I lost count. I wasn't counting. I should have probably put a mark by each one. But <laughs> we had uh, seven people, uh, grown men in the back, like three people uh, in the baggage department, stuffed in there. And uh, wow, like, holy hell, holy hell, no more. We go. <laughs> <laughs> you had seven. Oh my goodness! And so you, oh, had, yeah. you had a crew of three plus a seven. Crew Pilot, co-pilot, and flight mechanic, and then we had seven grown men in the back. Uh, I sent Kenny a picture earlier today, just so I can. Uh, if you're with him, Sam, you should check it out because it's fun. Yeah, you kinda, yeah. Give me that. I'll, I'll pull it up for him. Give me that picture. Uh, you, that might be a record. I was going to say, like, let's. If you've had more than ten adults in a sixty-five, let us know. Yeah, let us know. Yeah, that it is. was quite because uh, you know we had plenty of power. I I don't know if we were overweight or not, but. We were probably, I wasn't thinking. <laughs> probably should balance. know that as the PIC. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. But uh, the weight and balance thing, you know, we started talking about that a little bit more in flight. I'm like, hey, maybe we should. <laughs> maybe, uh, now I got the AEO on board with me, so he's probably, he's pretty smart. Though it's yeah. Anyway. Bruce, that is uh, a wild picture. Oh, my goodness. I, I told him, I'm like, well, maybe we should do a little run on landing here <laughs> so we can keep the CG <laughs> yeah. centered up. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, I, I want to give you a, a big shout out that I think is probably still lasting through most units in the fleet is the crazy Excel spreadsheet that you created when you were in Atlantic City for doing the daily schedule. Because um, I know you brought it to San Francisco and I feel like I've seen that or some version of that thing every in every SCEDS department throughout the 65 fleet. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's still going in San Fran, but Actually, I think I stole that from Shane Greer. He's kind of a <laughs> he's kind of an Excel geek too. I'm not sure if you know. I'm not even sure if he's still in or is there. Yeah, 
He retired, yeah, he retired last year, two years ago. Last year, last year. Out of here, yep. Yeah, I always feel so dumb when I talk Excel with people like you. They're like, you'll ask me to do something, <clears throat> what you would think is like a a no brainer, and then you see me struggling to do it, and you're like, what 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 are you doing? And you actually get like visibly <laughs> upset at at how dumb I am at it. No, actually, I would have to say Excel is probably what got me to fly in, because as a as a yeoman. Uh, they sent me to some Excel, um, like beginners, intermediate, and advanced class, and uh, when I was in Topeka. And then uh, I came back and I wrote some program for the Reserve Retirement Program for the Coast Guard. And you know, it's, you know, whatever it took, you know, forty hours could take like twenty minutes now. And uh, uh, and so I got like Sailor of the Quarter and Achievement Medal. And they're like, man, I'm I'm gonna ride this wave as long as I can. I put in for us. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, still one skill I I I still use and like here I wrote our our uh, color for at the flight risk assessment uh, tool that we use uh, yeah. for him here so works still works out yeah d- jumping into that so hold on can I I, oh, go, I want to go back all yeah. right backing up we're talking about Bruce and H sixty five records you and I might be. Um, the people that ever complete a stand check uh, above, I Ryan, can you look up what the altitude of Truckee Airport is? Please? Pretty sure it's like fifty-eight. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of my facts here, Bruce. But uh, I think your first ever instructor pilot flight. Uh, I was a student, like aircraft commander syllabus, maybe in Brinken. Does that sound right? Uh, yeah, you were my first student instructor. Yeah, and, yeah. and then fast forward, never, you know, eight years yeah. later. And uh, Bruce is getting ready to retire from the Coast Guard. He's got to do one more annual check ride, stand check. Him and I are scheduled. Like, oh, let's go do it. Let's go to Tahoe. We got an ROL for the day. This is yeah, great. Make it interesting. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Let's go up to Tahoe and do it at 6,000 feet or whatever it is. Um, probably one of the most memorable flights I've had in the 65, that's for sure. Oh, I agree too because I... Uh Ah, it's just for it's just a fun flight. I wasn't really worried about like the flying portion of it. I just but you know, I actually the only time I was a little bit worried about is when we're doing single engine. But like, man, I don't. This is, hey hey Kenny, this, this ain't really catch. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what what does it mean if it just says dash 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 for the high, high loss of the training mode? Are we good or no? Oh. I I remember that because I if we were on deck, um, it would calculate a height loss. But once we climbed up for a pattern altitude, it wouldn't. And I remember coming around and you kind of cut it a little, a little shorter than I would have liked. So you're kind of aiming for the numbers. And by the time we get set up, I felt like we had eaten maybe a hundred yards of the runway. And you're like, all right, go ahead, flip, flip it. I'm like, nah, Hey man, I I think we ought to come back around. Like I want to be, I want to be starting the threshold. Like, no, 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 no. It's fine. Like Bruce, I I could just see how the mishap message was going to read like two instructor pilots, um, completing a stand check at 6,000 feet in the 65, like flip the switch, don't have enough runway runoff and, you know, blow a strut out or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let's see. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, what was the other thing? Probably a good, uh, prudent decision from you on that one, Kenny, to, 
go ahead and take it around the pattern one more time to use the full runway if needed. Yeah. And I remember like looking over at you hovering and I felt like you were putting in like four to five inch, like cyclic movements to maintain the hover, which, you know, normally the 65 is a, a quarter inch is a lot of movement. Um, yeah, she was just fine. Yeah. Like a pig. Yeah. That field elevations, uh, 5,904 feet at yeah. Truckee. Was, okay. Yeah. I was there okay. two days ago. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yep. Yeah. So when you're, you know, 500 foot pattern, it, it didn't give you a height loss. Damn, that's, also, I remember getting up there. Um, I thought there were some like clouds and we're like, oh, maybe we should get an IFR clearance. And then you start looking at the temps or so like kind of in and out of clouds. And it was cold enough where I was like, hey, I, I think we need to pay attention to that little snowflake at the top of the uh, <laughs> you know, the instrument or poetry plate. You're like, hey, do you know what this means? You're like, no, nah, I don't think I don't think it's going to be a big deal, though. <laughs> <I don't> th- <laughs> <laughs> that's that's awesome you say that because that is the slide that we use on the ifr refresher it is an approach into south lake tahoe with a snowflake <laughs> on the top of it and that's what we talk about uh so could you help us out what it what is it for it's when it, you when you get below a certain temperature it affects your um altimeter setting or essentially like you know the whole like high to low look out below like when your yeah. pressure changes well the temperatures i think is the same thing um so when it gets really cold you think you're actually you're lower than what your what your altimeter is showing, so they add uh, like I don't know, hundred okay. feet or something to all of the different altitudes along the approach. Okay, um, there's a chart in the front of the flip for it. That's that was probably what Bruce said was just what you said. I right know. There. Well, no, M- I doubt. <laughs> I, I still use Bruce's acronym M Sleet Lou for all the uh, times you have to call uh, if you're in the IFR environment. I don't know if you still yeah. Yeah, you don't do you do you have to study that? Should we shift gears about his? Uh, huh? What you do well, now? Yeah, we have checks every six months. Okay. What, because uh, we, we kind of just side-tailed into 65 flying, but yeah. what are you doing now, Bruce? What are you, what is your current job? Uh, now I um, fly for Penn State uh, Health, Hershey Medical Center, Lifeline Critical Care, the mouthful, but uh, it's a helicopter air ambulance service. So we fly out of um, Hershey and Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Okay. I live in Carlisle, so if anyone, uh, I know we get Army War College things that uh, go to go to here once in a while, so any coasties that go in the War College, you know, hit me up. I'll take you out to dinner and have a beer or something. Nice. Carl- but, um, what aircraft are you flying? I'm flying the 65, so really uh, happy to be flying the 65, um, you know, outside of the Coast Guard. And then also we fly um, a 155, uh, EC-155. So that must so, have been a pretty pretty easy transition, sixty five to sixty five. Uh, yeah, you you would think, uh, but you guys never phone any Bravos, uh, I imagine. No. Uh, I was going through like um, the T course, uh, all my simulators in the Bravos, and then my first unit uh, was a Charlie unit in uh, Atlantic City. So um, I flew it in, in the sim a few times, but you know now, so we the most standard thing about we our aircraft is the non-standardization that we have <laughs> <laughs> so with that we haven't we have an into as365 into which is like a, a 65 bravo okay uh where we have to manually start it with a fscl uh, if you remember back in your uh seven days with having a you know the twist grip but this one's you got a fuel flow control lever to uh to modulate the start engine so that's the one of them that we have, then we have. That's not a flight. Uh, like you're not, as you pull power, you're not rotating a twist grip, are you? No, no, no. Oh, we, okay. Once we, uh, fly, 
there's a governor and everything on it once we get both of them to fly. Okay, but, uh, gotcha. It's just initially to start it, you know, you got to worry about um, hot starts and stuff. But uh, yeah, the first time doing that after flying, not flying a, uh, an aircraft that did that, you know what I mean? So the first time I was like, ah, ah, you know, like, yeah. oh, please don't over. <laughs> <laughs> So we also have an uh, AS three six five N three, which is um, you know, they got um, the FedEx and aerial two C twos and stuff. So similar to the Coast Guard. Okay. But uh, all the avionics are, are different in each aircraft. Um, and then we have an EC one fifty five, which is probably the most similar to um, like the old Delta ones. I guess we had with uh, three VMDs with an FLI and stuff like that. But um, yeah, is- so we. Have- Purchased another 155 from I think Malaysia, and it's on its way over and uh, to get refitted from uh, Metro Aviation to get a um, get it for him services I guess. Is it um, as power limited as the 65 you flew in the Coast Guard? Oh no, uh, no, because we were taking off with 1,200 pounds of fuel and three people, and okay. uh, so we're probably taking off at 80. 8,600, 8,700 pounds or, yeah. Yeah, that's optimal. That's good weight. Oh, yeah. And so you're three qualified minutes. in all three aircraft? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And they're close enough where you don't have to do a check ride in um, each one. It's a, like a, it's a difference is training. Gotcha. Um, so there's just minor, minor differences, but. Nice. Uh, are you single pilot IFR or are you just VFR? Nope. Single pilot IFR. Um, I was, that was actually, I think in San Francisco, it was a little concerned for me because I, I knew I wanted to go fly for uh, like hell, HAA, you know, but I was like, ah, I've, I've always had another co-pilot and stuff. So uh, we were doing an instrument trainer. I don't remember who I was with, but, but hey, man, I, I know this is dual pilot, but I'm getting ready to go do this on my own. And, uh, I'd like to pretty much do everything by myself if you don't mind. <laughs> 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 Just to, you know, and, you know, of course, back me up if I was doing something stupid but uh i just want to like a warm fuzzy that you know you, you know you can do this you know but yeah single pilot ifr we uh uh half mile take off and we can go down 200 and a half to, to land wow. we have a uh, special instrument approaches that we fly into hospitals that'll get us down to 200 feet um, in the middle of nowhere just to a hospital you know those are ones that your company creates on their own and certifies, or is that something that the FAA does? Well, uh, the FAA uh, has them, but there's also another thing called Hitchcock uh, Services that has um, the hospital uh, special instrument approaches. And uh, I think there may, maybe maybe there's other ones as well. But, yeah. Um, How often I, I are think- you using those approaches? I'm sorry, say that again. How often are you actually using those, you know, basically it sounds like you're doing a, you know, instrument approach down to a hospital pad, basically. Oh yeah. Um, it depends on the weather. I, we're, we're like, we're no joke, single pilot IFR, low IFR program. And all of our, we have 11 pilots and all of them are prior coasties except for two of them. And Whoa. Uh, we, oh yeah. It's, uh, uh, yeah, I'll just write off some of the names real fast because you know some of them are more recent folks that you guys probably know but some of them are older that retired whenever I was starting in the Coast Guard but yeah you got uh, Jamie Reed Tom Boland Matt Tui 
uh, and myself and some of the old, older Coasties are uh, Randy Emery, Tim Carges, Phil Perez, John Shuey, Mike Andres. And we got our two token Marines, uh, uh, Ken O'Connor <laughs> and Bryce Sanders. Nice. So, so all yeah. prior military pilots. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm not necessarily, I, I think it's great. Uh, I don't think it has to be that way, but I think that it's worked out well for us. So I think there are some uh, civilian companies that are, you know, or pilots that, you know, could definitely have good experience. As long as they're not just uh, doing tours, you know, uh, I don't know. There's got to be more more to it. And I think that gets ironed out in the interview process. So. Yeah. Uh, how I many know. hours are you sitting at right now? Just shy of 4,000. Okay. And how do, how do you stack up kind of amongst your peers with that? Oh, I'm, I'm probably, there's probably only two or three guys that are, have lower hours than I do. Yeah. Wow. So I think the highest, highest is probably 10,000. And then, uh, 10,000 yeah. hours <laughs> in a 65, <laughs> probably. <laughs> well, he, the, this guy, uh, Tim Carter, he was a prior, uh, army guy and, uh, an instructor there. So I think he had a lot of hours doing that stuff. Then he went to the coast guard and then, uh, a lot of hours doing that. Then, He's been flying EMS for 20 years also, you know. Wow. What's the, um, what, what's your work schedule like, Bruce? What's the op tempo and, uh, kind of like the daily, uh, daily schedule that you go by? Well, we have, I enjoy it. We have six on, six off, but a lot of, a lot of, uh, other industries or agencies, they have a seven on, seven off. A lot of folks, they'll do, uh, seven day shifts, um, like 12 hour shifts from seven to seven. Then they'll be off for seven days and they'll do seven night shifts from seven o'clock at night, seven o'clock in the morning. Okay. Uh, all seven days. So ours is a little bit different. Um, we do three 12 hour day shifts, uh, then three 12 hour night shifts. Then we're off for six days. So, so six on six off, but we do the three day, three night, then six offers. How many cases, uh, average would you say in a 12 hour shift you're getting? Oh man, it's feast or famine. It's, Sometimes it's none. We sit there for 12 hours. There's only so much Netflix or you know, <laughs> computer that you can do or so, but, or yes, that you're, you're dash one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what percentage of those flights are like, are they hospital to hospital transfers? Are they offsite landings? And yeah. And what, what, what can you tell us about offsite landings? Like the process that happens for that? Uh, it seems pretty fast. So, out of the, all of our flights, about 85% of them are uh, in our hospital transfer as well. Or they'll call us from one hospital to, to send them to a higher level of care to another hospital. And then uh, another 15% is, uh, or the other 15% is about team calls where if there's a, a bad crash or if there's um, someone has a stroke out, and there's a lot of farmland here or something happens somewhere, you know, they'll give us a call for the scene calls. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those, um, it's pretty fast. So we'll get the call. We, you know, we have a 50 mile radius around our base. That's our local area. And anything else that is that uh, distance. So if the weather's nice, we'll just tell them we're, um, restricted all around. And they'll, as soon as they get a call, they'll launch us. So they'll come on the radio. We have a pager, and, um, you know, between that pager call and, um, we got to get the uh, garage doors open. We'll tow the aircraft out. Mm-hmm. So get the tractor back in, shut the doors, we get started, and we're airborne within seven minutes. So 
I just say whenever we come on watch, we, we lock it and cock it. You know, we'll go over all the systems and pre checks and stuff like that to just to check all the systems beforehand. Then we'll uh, then we'll get all the stuff. You know, the switches how we need to mm-hmm. to get moved pretty fast. Uh, but you know, as according to the FAA, we're going through our full checklist to uh, get everything <laughs> of course. up and running. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you hit all the switches at, at some we're, point. We're folks. Uh, NCR, it's uh, kind of uh, similar to uh, getting Mark and Cox away, getting going. You know. Huh. So yeah. once you, so these uh, scene calls, um, is it the fire department that's out there? Do they prep anything, or do you get out there and kind of direct them what you want as far as like clearance and landing sites? How does that work? So as soon as we take off, we'll we'll do our call with, uh, you know, and well, just funny story first because I. Um, I would give our total time to splash because, you know, that's what we say in the Coast Guard, you know. And I said that my first couple uh, uh, radio calls and our <laughs> comp specs, what, what the hell what is that? What is time splash? What is, what is this time splash? I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess that's uh, <laughs> that's not a thing here. I guess we don't got to worry about splash. <laughs> <laughs> nope. So what do you say? Total time to crash or? <laughs> uh uh, we'll tell like our total, how many people we have on board. You okay. Know, uh, uh, how much fuel, our time on board as well, whatever our time, and our minimum safe altitude. Uh, because while we're prepping for a team call, also they'll give us position and we'll we'll put it on four flight, and then uh, we got to figure out the highest obstacle between point A and point B. Uh, for daytime, we got to figure out our um, the highest our route's going to be uh, our minimum safe altitude's going to be. A height 300 feet above that highest obstacle, or at night time, it's got to be 500 feet above. Okay. Or, or VFR. Gotcha. So we'll uh, we'll give them all that information, then we'll call and we'll get the frequency for uh, the LZ, and then uh, we'll give them a call, and then they'll give us an LZ brief. We'll just ask for an LZ brief. They'll give us, um, they'll set up a, usually a 100 by 100 area. And, uh, the fire department, they're the ones, they'll set up cones and then uh, tell us where the different power lines are. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what else? Like where, where the wind's coming from. Okay. Just whatever kind of. Have you found so, that those briefs are, are accurate or have you gotten to places and you're like, yeah, there's no way we can land there. Like that's not level or that's way too close to a power line or cell tower. Well, I, uh, I had to give a brief discussion at our last day stand down because uh, they they gave me an LZ brief, and then I was on my short approach landing, and they came on the on the radio and said, "Lifeline, you see the power lines?" And I, <laughs> oh I no! I stopped, and and they didn't brief none of that beforehand, you know. So I kind of, you know, stopped my descent and looked, and they were pretty much right underneath me. I'm like, "What the hell?" So kind of high hover, and uh, kind of. And we sat down, talked about his crew. I'm like, all right, you know, we're all on goggles, clear. And um, we sat down, and it was fine. But we, we were pretty much on short approach of the power lines that they didn't breathe. Dang. And I didn't see man, because uh, I know there's high-tension power lines on the other side that I was looking at. But uh, whenever I was looking uh, towards where those power lines actually were, there's the, uh, the fire truck and the lights. I was seeing those lights in the background. The, um, the power line. Yeah. I remember, I think yeah. you actually sent out a video one time in San Francisco. It was some helicopter up at like a lake doing something and 
they either hit, I think they hit the power lines and they flew out. But I just yep. remember that discussion and pilot meeting that we had. And um, one thing I learned from that is, man, if you're ever going to land offsite and there are people on the ground, like ask them what they see. Cause you don't always, you don't see stuff. Like you said, you would have come straight on top of those power lines um, and never seen them, especially at nighttime. Yeah. And that we usually don't shut down on scene calls, but uh, the person was, um, they need to be extracted. So they, a med crew told me like on the radio, like, Hey, it's immediately 10 minutes. So I'm like, Oh, I'm shut down. I'm going to go talk to the fire, fire department guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go chew him out. Not, not be mad. I'm like, Hey man, like, uh, well, first off, thanks for coming on the radio last second to let me know. But secondly, tell me I beforehand. Didn't, <laughs> be, and he's like, Hey, I didn't even see him. The, uh, you know, I gave the, uh, the LZ brief, but I, I never even seen the power lines. Um, some other guy walked up just a, a moment before you guys were uh, landing and said, "Hey, do they see the power lines?" And that's whenever he called up. Wow, I mean, good on that guy, right? And I mean, for oh yeah, just not assuming that you either saw them or that it was given in a brief. Yeah, no, Bruce. Have you found any differences in like CRM or ORM in um, flying the sixty-five in the civilian world? Uh, it's a little different. So we use the three to go, one to say no kind of thing. Uh, okay. For, for him. So, um, and we don't, I don't, I don't think that they, our med crew really counts on us, like to know the aircraft and know the weather, what we can and cannot do. Uh, and we're making our best guess we can because there's, there's not weather reporting sources all around. You know, we're trying to interpolate between, you know, this. 50 miles between this uh, airport and this airport and what might be going on. So uh, I think they have a lot of trust in us and, and, you know, we'll do our best to make the best weather decisions as we can and go from there. That's good. uh, We also have a flight deck observer program, which um, we're trying to make a little bit better. Um, But we have uh, like on non-patient legs, we'll try to get one of our med crew, um, that's been trained in the flight deck observer program to uh, go up front and just kind of sit with us and, you know, have another set of eyes, help them look out. And so, you know, pretty nice, especially if you're going on a scene call and they change the uh, LZ last minute. So if you're between mountains and there's, um, you know, towers that are, are other obstacles, you don't want to spend too much time heads down, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. But another position is there. So it's nice to have another set of eyes just to kind of help out uh, and do that. So yeah, and they help out with uh, the radio comms that's non ATC. So you know sometimes they'll they'll initiate the uh, call to uh, the LZ to get the brief and stuff. Well, yeah. Have you had cases where someone was a no in the crew? Uh, well. Well, I've definitely had cases where we took off and, you know, we couldn't go IFR just due to the icing levels. And, you know, we have some different uh, smaller mountain ranges, mountain ranges around here. And we thought we could make it over the ridges. And as we're getting over there, you know, like, eh, I don't, I don't know if we're able to make that. Yeah. <laughs> so we're all just like, uh, it's not going to happen. So we can just turn around. Yeah, so it's kind unanimous of, decision. Like, yeah, no yeah. way. More of a, like that. And this ain't going to happen. So we'll just call our comp center and tell the ambulance to take them by ground. Yeah. Uh, circling back a little bit, um, you were talking about how you were a little bit nervous going to that single pilot IFR mentality. And I think there's a lot of people that have that 
that same caution. Um, now looking back, uh, did the Coast Guard prepare you for that? Was it easy transition? Uh, are you still kind of crapping your pants when you see an IFR night? No, no. I, uh, I think the Coast Guard prepared us uh, pretty well. I think uh, uh, comparing it to other services that we we work a lot like in the ATC environment. Um, so I feel like some of the other services, they might not um, have that opportunity, I guess, as much. But I don't know. I feel like Atlantic City and uh, San Francisco definitely had plenty of opportunities uh, for IFR. Uh, Puerto Rico, not as much, but definitely a little bit here and there. <laughs> but, yeah. But definitely, I don't know. You got, yeah, any, like because, you got any scary stories of IFR? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, I do. <laughs> Ones that you'd like to share? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, I share with uh, the company folks too, but uh, it's more, you know, you're one to rely on your instrument stuff. But I was shooting an approach, uh, as a GPS approach, uh, in the gear the whole time. And it's uh, just a like standard, uh, like a T approach for a GPS one that. Yeah, uh, I hit it, and then you know a lot of these are GPS approaches where you have nabbed up, and you know you're just doing more monitoring and stuff. So I had it nabbed up, hit my initial approach sticks, and I started a, a descent, soon back to ninety knots, and then you know I'm get a quick scan, a quick scan of the instruments, and then I look down at my uh, iPad, I'm like all right, what's my next altitude? I'm going to drop down to you know after this one, should be expecting a left hand turn, and then like man, something. Something doesn't feel right. <laughs> oh, that's so, not a good feeling. <laughs> no, not a good feeling at all. So, uh, I look up and it's still, you know, I got 90 knots clued in. And my scan, I just feel like it's slower than normal. I'm like, what's going on? You know, I'm just trying to get a quick look of everything. And uh, so, uh, the digital is 90 knots, but my actual airspeed indicator is closer to like the 50 knots. And then, uh, uh, and then we're, falling instead of you know like a 500 foot feet per minute descent that i had said more like 1200 feet per minute and Whoa. kind of a get into an unusual attitude and going in between two little mountain ranges as well i'm like oh, what the hell so <laughs> I, I, I didn't know what was going on so it's kind of i guess i got myself in a unusual attitude but the um so you know wings nose ball power kind of get myself um um gyro recage and climbing up to get out from whatever obstacles that could be there. And uh, uh, then I talked to ATC and like, hey, you know, had a, uh, an issue with my flight director, you know, like to see if I can get vectored around for another approach. And and they did, no big deal. But, and come to find out, you know, then I, I looked over at the co-pilot instruments and my airspeed on the co-pilot side was like nothing. So there was, uh, ended up being some kind of water or something wasn't draining. Um, dude. <laughs> So my flight director was uh, all messed up and I was kind of falling out of the sky a little bit there. And uh, definitely adrenaline was up a little bit. So I turned the, uh, I think I turned the static, uh, uh, co-pilot static, to uh, static. Yeah. Or bypass or something. Record, I'm trying to, yeah, to alternate it, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did that and uh, ended up being fine. I think it was the approach. And, um, but yeah, I was a little, uh, a little shaky after that one and my med crew they really didn't know what was going on but i debriefed him afterwards and said you know <laughs> we almost <laughs> ate it yeah I like, almost bought the like, farm on that one boys <laughs> <laughs> and i might need to go change my underwear <laughs> yeah man 
<laughs> oh. oh, you you talk that story with such like nonchalance almost. Man, that that, that I feel like that anything that messes up my airspeed indications or the attitude indicator, it that's like the ones that scare me the most. Yeah. So well, uh, with that, and I never before, I never cross-checked like co-pilot instruments at all uh, before then because I was just you know had my own instrument scan that I, I would do in front of me. But uh, after that, you know, I'll I'll just take up the airspeed and uh, the co-pilot side every once in a while just to make sure everything's matching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No bueno. No bueno. But, you know, if I had a flight uh, deck observer up front or a co-pilot, you know. It, I probably wouldn't have got that far. I probably just could have cracked it on the spot or, yeah. or realized it before it kind of got to an unusual, you know? Yeah. I mean, so you had, you know, you had somewhat of an emergency there. Um, how many emergencies do you have in a civilian 65 versus the a thousand EPs that we have in the Coast Guard 65? <laughs> uh, we still have, we have, we still have plenty of emergency procedures, uh, bold face, but, um, and a lot of them are very similar to the Coast Guard ones, but you know, not necessarily uh, like control stabilize. We don't. I don't think we have any of those. But um, we definitely have plenty. Okay. Um, you think that's but, just uh, because you're all 65 pilots, so you never changed? Uh, what, yeah, probably. What, yeah. <laughs> the, probably. The, how to do business? <laughs> so one nice thing though with the 155, uh, the manual, and uh, man, I think the Coast Guard should definitely get on board with this if they have not. But uh, with the 155 manual, there's uh, like a picture of the warning caution advisory panel and all the different lights that mm-hmm. you have. And um, it's, you can click on or press on a PDF document, any one of those different lights, and it'll bring you to the EP. Oh, that's cool. Like, yeah. So it, it probably proves it, dumps it down for you. You know, like, oh, God, this light, what does this mean? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> press the button, it'll yeah. take you to the page. But, but not necessarily for us, but like if, we're, if we do have someone else that's up front with us, we can pass them the, the iPad and say, hey, uh, you mind just double checking this? Uh, this is what I think it is, but, you know, click on this button and it'll bring up the emergency <laughs> procedure. So, yeah. But, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we had the, uh, you know, we definitely have uh, EPs, like actual ones that we have every once in a while. We had one of our, our guys had a chip light. Um, a while back, they're in route, mm-hmm. and uh, they end up they're close enough to another airport. They just diverged that airport and called in another ambulance crew to go uh, or our ground truck to go pick them up or something. So, are you having the same um, parts issues? I don't know if you know from talking with buds like us still in the Coast Guard, but you know, sixty five has been struggling quite a bit with uh, getting gearboxes, and and now it's like mainly landing gear struts, et cetera, et cetera. Are you feeling that in the civilian community as well? Uh, I think so, but not, I don't think too, uh, as much as you guys are, but, okay. um, I, I know Airbus, but they told us that they're going to be able to support us through, you know, I want to, I thought it was 2040 or so, but, uh, hearing different things, there's a news article about uh, the Coast Guard, you know, oh, with yeah. parts and stuff that I read not too long ago. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. Well, we'll see what happens because. We do have our 265s that we have, and then uh, the two 155s. But the 155s also in the um, the Dolphin family, so they're not producing any more of those either. You know, yeah. So we'll, we'll see what happens for the future. 
So you're a, a prior FSO. What's the safety culture like in EMS? Is it similar to Coast Guard? Like, is it, you know, you have that instrument approach and you're like, oh, that wasn't good. Uh, is that, you come back and share that and is that welcomed or are you kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to mention anything. Oh, no, no. Yeah, we definitely, we, we don't have wardroom meetings, but we'll send out an email like, I'll see the pilot tricks or, or this happened. And, uh, we'll, uh, we'll definitely share our things that happen with the safety wise, try to help other people from, you know, do the same thing. That's but, good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. It's a pretty good SMS uh, culture that we have. Um, we have, uh, two folks that, that run it right now. And also uh, a lot of our nurses and paramedics and are involved in it as well from other aspects, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Things really good. So, Quick question, because we were kind of talking about culture too, but um, as far as like getting into the field that you're in, um, what do you, what do you need as a background, like application process? Um, and then like, what's the equivalent pay uh, for going and doing this kind of flying on the outside? Uh, well, I think to kind of set yourself up if folks are wanting to get into uh, the HAI business, I would, I would say that Heli Expo happens every year, except for covid year but yep uh it would be definitely worthwhile to, to go to one of those and just start networking uh they have a mili- military to civilian transition course that's um that's pretty good mm-hmm. uh it kind of goes all the different helicopter industries that um that are out there that you know um like ag engineering like, like you know uh news agencies just all, all the different things that are out there mm-hmm. so uh all the different things but uh, I'd say that'd be uh, a really good start. Start networking a couple years out, and go to one of those HAI things. Um, yeah, they they usually have um, hiring managers there at the military military to civilian transition course, and uh, it's really if you don't have your ATP, I would say definitely start working on that because uh, the minimum for HEMS uh, or HAA is uh, commercial with uh, instrument. However, if you have your ATP, it's definitely uh, it'll help you stand out a little bit as yeah. well. Is so, that same with like CFI, CFII as well? Yeah, that that's yeah, that's good as well too. No, I wouldn't get that though until you're about a year or two out because once once you get your CFI, CFII, um, you know that's the one you got to do every two years. So yeah, that's a good point. Don't don't do that early in your career. I would say do that closer to the end. Um. Because it's just a, I think a competency test that you got to take, and you can do that through uh, Shepherd Air. Yeah. Same thing with AT. But uh, yeah, I'd say that it'd be a waste if you did it, you know, five years before you got out, because you'd have to do that um, uh, perk trainer or uh, flight instructor recurrency trainer every two years. Or so. Yeah. Uh-huh. I appreciate so, that because I was thinking about doing that. No, I don't want to do it. So I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, Bruce. <laughs> it sounds bad. No, but it, it does sound bad, but it, you could always do it. You know what I mean? So yeah. Because you have that and you take it to a FISDO and uh, they'll be able to sign you off after you take that competency test. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Every two years, you have to go through the training. And then there is one thing that you could do for like a lifetime trainer for it and just pay the price and just go for the, the courseware and knock it out. But I don't know. If you don't have to, I would say don't. Don't do it until a year or two out. Yeah. What what's uh what's starting salary for a job in in uh, HAI or HEMS or whatever you call it? 
I would, I would say, I would say 70 to 90 is probably okay. a pretty good starting. It depends on where you're going and if it's going to be VFR or IFR. Uh, I, th- I think our company's probably a little bit on the higher side with 80, 80 to 90 starting okay. out. Um, but there, there are pluses though. Uh, you know, some companies they'll pay you. So we have 12 hour shifts, but if we go over 12 hours to 14 hours, you know, we're salary. We don't get any extra pay for that. Uh, for our company, uh, but some companies, you know, anything over your 12 hours to 14 hours, they'll pay you time and a half for it. So, gotcha. Well, but if we do an extra shift, that's not in our standard six shifts, you know, we'll, we'll get definitely paid for those, you know, close to time and half for most folks. But, um, uh, yeah, I'd say that probably 70, 90 is probably good, depending on a DFR or IFR. And then, uh, with extra shifts, you know, that people usually take and probably next, another, add another 10 grand of that or so, you know? Yeah. Gotcha. That's nice. awesome. Well, Bruce, yeah. <clears throat> thanks so much for uh, hanging out with, with us today and giving us a little bit of insight to the helicopter uh, life outside of the uh, military or Coast Guard specifically. Uh, normally we end uh, every episode with uh, some piece of aviation advice that you, uh, you've received over the years or that you'd like to give out. So what you got for us? I'll say the biggest thing is kind of on your profession and, you know, take every opportunity you can to improve yourself inside the aircraft. Uh, you know, your ground job's not going to kill you, but, you know, take that extra time on duty to, to study a little bit and uh, every flight you can to maximize what, what you can do. I like that. The honor your profession. That's, that's important. It's important to put that time and effort into that job that like you said, your ground job's not going to kill you. Yeah. Uh, for, for non-aviation stuff though, for folks like the first, second tour, I'd say non-aviation advice. I'm like, man, if you can live below your means and aggress- invest aggressively in your twenties and thirties, max out your TSP if you can. And, uh, what I failed to do was, uh, go to medical when I was hurt. And uh, so document your stuff so you can get good disability rating on your way out. <laughs> <laughs> All really good advice. Uh, so no, yeah, seriously on that because I, I was the one that I didn't want to be met down, so I never went. You know, if my back was hurting or anything, I, I don't know, I never went. So I got a, a big ten percent for the ringing of my ear for tinnitus, but nothing else that was documented, so I didn't really get much else on there. But other people, they did it right. So take care of yourself, take care of your family, and then that'll be good. <laughs> Man. Well, Bruce, we really appreciate talking to you. This is a great, like Kenny said, a great insight into helicopter flying outside the Coast Guard. And um, you got any other any other last-minute things? No. Like I said, I appreciate you guys having me on here. I uh, enjoyed listening to the podcast, and I'll continue to, continue to do so. You yeah. guys take care of yourself. Yeah, bud. Thanks, Bruce. We'll, we'll see you, buddy. We'll see you soon. Yeah.